0: Kia ora, I'm Philippa Tolley and welcome to the
1: Long Read from Stuff. In this episode, we're delving into the archives to bring you one of the best examples of our long-form journalism beautifully read. This week's story is called A Solitary Murder. It's written by Stuff's Dunedin Bay senior reporter, Hamish McNeely, who joins us now. Kia ora.
2: Kia ora. from the Deep South, Philippa.
1: So, this story isn't a new one. You're looking back to the 1920s. What sparked your interest to look back that far?
2: Uh, it was just curiosity whether there'd... Been any major crime as an homicide or murder on Stuart Island. It was just one of those weird things I was interested in and I went through some old records and found what I was looking for basically.
1: So, Stuart Island, this apparently is the only murder that's ever happened there. People know where Stuart Island is, but they don't know much about it. How would an event like this have affected the community, do you think?
2: Well, it would have impacted them a lot. It, it is the only recorded murder. There may have been. Others. What is known in the 1920s has had a huge impact on people there. Um, he was a much beloved member of the community. I'm not sure of the ramifications of it, but it would have been a huge scandal in the
1: 1920s. Was there much information to dig into? How did you actually tease out the story?
2: There was surprisingly a lot of information. There's the initial newspapers, of which there were far more newspapers than there are now, I guess, uh, all around. So there's local. Publications on, on the island, uh, the, in Bluff and in uh, I was able to get uh, death records, cemetery records, um, immigration records. were surprisingly free and readily available. Um, I remember getting the entry of a young Jose into New Zealand, and obviously he couldn't write, so he just signed his name with an X. So it was something that you could find those sort of documents, which amazed me considering this is 100 years ago.
1: Indeed. Thanks, Hamish. Now here's Dominic Harris reading Hamish's story, A Solitary Murder.
3: The old fisherman was a familiar sight hauling in nets. He had called Stewart Island home for five decades, since being shipwrecked there. He was a small, mild-mannered man who lived alone. But that tranquility was shattered when 82-year-old Andre Jose was bludgeoned to death in his boarding house room in the early hours of December the 14th, 1927. His killing is believed to be Stuart Island's only murder. His landlady, Catherine Walschläger, heard Jose fight for his life. Help, help me die, came the cries from his room, along with sounds of a scuffle. She ran to the door. It was locked. Jose had only rented it a few days earlier. Arthur has robbed me of all my money, she heard him say. I'll die, I'll die. Walschläger told Jose she would go next door for help. Her screams of murder roused her neighbour, John Edwards, into action. The pair returned and found the door still locked. Whoever was inside the room had barricaded themselves in. Eventually, Walshlager and Edwards were let in by a man wearing pyjamas and a blood spattered oilskin coat. Do you see any blood on me? he asked them. The room was a mess and there was no sign of Jose. They told the man to leave. Walschläger lit a candle for Jose and left it at the door in case Jose was able to leave his room later that night. By morning, the candle was gone. Stewart Island is visible from Bluff Hill. It's there that Andre Jose was buried in an unmarked grave on Sunday, December the 18th, 1927. His name, like many official documents obtained by Stuff, is recorded as Andrew. Jose often told Stewart Island locals that he was a Malayman and had arrived in New Zealand on the vessel England's Glory, which was shipwrecked off Bluff in 1881. Jose and another crew member were taken in by Barney Buller of Stewart Island. They lived at the Neck, a narrow peninsula that separates Patterson Inlet from Fovo Strait. Jose worked as a fisherman and ship's cook. In her book, The Stewart Islanders, Olga Sansom writes that Jose once spent three nights marooned on rocks, which were covered at high tide, after the boat he was working on sank. Jose survived on limpets and, barely alive, was rescued by the skipper of a passing boat. After a remarkable recovery, he invited his nurse and rescuer for kai at his house. No limpets, though, he reportedly told the nurse. Eventually, New Zealand became home. One naturalisation document from 1900 noted Jose was born in the Philippines. On one page, an official scribbled a note by hand. Is he to be described as of Spanish nationality? Another document pledging an oath of allegiance includes Jose's signature, a single X. Jose, who had no children, lived in the Flying Scud, a 20-ton cutter beached at Papatiki Bay on the neck. His home extended onto the beach, where he kept hens and ducks and a vegetable garden. According to the Stewart Islanders, a seaweed fertiliser helped his cabbages and rhubarb thrive. At the time of his death, he was working on a new home. That was why he was staying at Walschläger's boarding house. The whole island was utterly saddened, the Stewart Islanders mourned, when Andrew Jose, the mildest of men and utterly friendly to everyone, met his death by violence at the hands of his murderer in Horseshoe Bay. Shocking crime. Old man done to death, read the headline in the press newspaper. The motive for killing Andre Jose wasn't immediately clear, but the likely culprit was. Arthur Victor Valentine, an accountant with the Bluff Harbour board who had been staying in another room at the boarding house. He was the pyjama-clad man Walschläger and Edwards found in Jose's room and ordered out. Walschläger asked Valentine what he had done I am in great pain, he replied. My back, my back. The savagery of the crime was only uncovered the next morning. Constable Arthur Woodley was one of the first to enter Jose's room and was confronted with the same mess Walschläger and Edwards found the night before. The small bed was broken and the mattress and sheets lay in a heap. Woodley peeled back the mattress to find Jose lying in a pool of blood. Quite dead, as he later told an inquest.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person.
1: Today on Newsable, in the last week alone, three people have been killed in house fires around the country. How can we keep ourselves safe? Plus the boom in Auckland, job applications, and I present to you some of the wackiest laws from around the world. For everything that's worth talking about, find and follow Newsable wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Woodley sought out Valentine. The Lodger, a World War I veteran injured and found unfit for service, appeared nervous and excitable. The Germans came up early this morning, he said. I heard Andrew call out, help, help. I went upstairs and he turned on me. I had a sort of delusion, Valentine told another officer. Andrew hit at me with a board. I hit him with something. Woodley asked him why Jose would turn on him. Valentine did not reply. As the policeman detained Valentine, he noted a small blood-stained manuka log, the charred remains of wood and a pillow by the door and kerosene in the room. Valentine was transported by tugboat to Bluff, where a large crowd had gathered. He was taken to jail and, according to one newspaper, served a meal. He sat down and ate it quite calmly and with apparent indifference. Jose died in a frenzied attack. His autopsy revealed injuries including a broken jaw, a dozen blows to his head and abrasions to his arms. The likely cause of death was shock and blood loss. Motive was a mystery, but after Valentine appeared in the Invercargill District Court on December the twenty-second, in a distressed condition, panting for breath, according to the Evening Star, answers started to emerge. On December the first, three weeks before the murder, Valentine had been found inside the office of the Bluff Harbour Board, unconscious with a wound to his head. A weight taken from the nearby drafting office, the apparent assault weapon, was found near his feet. Some £240, wages earmarked for dredge employees, were missing. Valentine went to Stewart Island to recuperate from the attack. He was well known on the island, visiting weekly aboard the SS Teresa Ward, where he worked as a purser. There, he met Jose the two men had history. Valentine looked after Jose's financial affairs and had gone to the island with the stated intention of buying property from the fishermen. A later inquest held on Stewart Island heard that Jose had acquired 350 pounds from the sale of a property in Bluff. He had engaged Valentine to invest 200 pounds in Bluff Harbour Board debentures and loaned Valentine the remaining 150 It further heard that Valentine was not holding any Bluff Harbour Board debentures for Jose. In fact, he had disposed of them more than a year earlier. The loan, made to Valentine on behalf of his brother, was set to mature in 1928. Jose became worried about his money, particularly after hearing about Valentine and the robbery. Friends advised him to go to Bluff. He was about to depart when Valentine arrived on the island,
2: I think you're conflating a whole bunch of issues. You
0: don't want to be held to account well, no,
2: on I,
1: rising child abuse no, numbers. You can manipulate crime
2: statistics. I, I promised I wouldn't have a you about gotcha journalism. Hang
1: into the National Party's attack line there that I think It would be a resignation
2: offence. If I didn't deliver tax reduction. Yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about it at all. Nothing iffy in there. That sits
1: with you perfectly fine. That's what
2: we're we're focused on.
1: Whatever happens in politics, the weird, the wonderful, the important, the thought-provoking, we got you. Listen to Tova wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Prepare for an unfiltered journey through the harsh realities of infertility. My name's Nadine Higgins. I'm a broadcaster, a journalist, and I've been trying to make a
3: baby with my husband. That's me. I'm Dan. And we reckon infertility is lonely enough without making it a dirty little secret.
2: In The Human Race with Dan and Nadine Higgins, we share raw and unvarnished stories of couples who have faced the brutal truth of infertility.
3: You've been in it, it's, it's really tough and really lonely.
2: Yeah, and also, this is really weird, but baby showers? You don't need to open the presents in front of everyone. Confronting the harsh reality that not every story has a happy ending.
1: This very blunt abrasive doctor who I had you know had not seen before who delivered the news it's just like you'll probably never have a natural period again and you'll probably never have a baby the human race
2: where we share the untold stories of couples in the race of their lives to create a life I feel like I nearly missed out and I got to do it and so
1: I feel really lucky so it's been incredibly positive
2: listen today at stuff.co.nz thehumanrace the human race or wherever you get your podcasts The
0: Human Race is proudly brought to you by Elevate.
3: Catherine Volschläger told the inquest Jose and Valentine arrived at her house on December the 10th. Valentine asked her to put them up, telling her that Jose would pay the board. On December the 13th, the men played cards together and went to bed at midnight. Valentine was in a room at the front of the house and Jose in a room upstairs. The inquest jury found that Jose met his death at about 4am on December the 14th through shock and loss of blood by injuries received by the hand of Arthur Victor Valentine. Valentine never knew of the verdict. On December the 23rd, the day after his sickly court appearance, while in the exercise yard at the Invercargill Borstal Institute, he collapsed and died. He was 43 years old. The attending doctor believed Valentine died of a heart attack due to the pressure of the impending trial. An examination of his body revealed enlarged kidneys and heart. While realizing the seriousness of the circumstances, he was quiet enough, one report into the death read, and to all intents showed no trace of insanity. Valentine's body was interred less than two weeks after that of the man he murdered. He was laid to rest in Invercargill's Eastern Cemetery on Boxing Day, 1927. His grave is marked with his name.
1: A solitary murder on the long read from stuff written by Hamish McNeely read by Dominic Harris this episode's audio was edited by John Ropiha if you listen via our website you can hear this story and more like it on the long read podcast available on all the usual platforms if you liked what you heard please give us a five star rating and a review it helps others choose to listen thanks for being with us ka kite anu. This pod took time and resources to produce.
0: Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nzslash support.